Hi, I'm Morgan Goulet, a licensed marriage and family therapist. I work as a therapist in private practice and also serve as a clinical trainer for a nonprofit organization where I develop curriculum and provide trainings to staff and the community. My hope with this podcast is to decrease stigma around mental health and substance use and encourage a more open and honest conversations. We're all human and we've all experienced our own struggles, so let's talk about it. And I'm Whitney Hodak, a working professional in Los Angeles, California. I struggle with my own mental health and I'm just curious about mental health in general. On this podcast, I'll be the layman to Morgan's expertise. This podcast is an exploration into common mental health issues. While Morgan is a trained and licensed therapist and the advice and conversation may be useful and relatable to you, your own personal experience should be advised and guided by your own mental health care provider. Welcome to Emotional Curiosity. Today we are talking about anxiety, what it is, how to recognize it, and how to help once you've figured out that you've got anxiety. Yes, which you probably do. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about, or can you tell us, what is anxiety? So I think a lot of people have the misconception that anxiety means that something's wrong with you, but really anxiety is a very normal emotion and experience to have and it's actually something that we need um, to experience. So it's essentially our body's way of responding to something that it perceives as a threat. Um, and We need that in order to survive. So if there's some sort of dangerous situation that we're encountering, our body reacts with anxiety to help keep us safe. So that like fight, flight, freeze response that we hear a lot about. But the problem kind of becomes when it's too frequent or when our body's responding to things that aren't threatening in the same way as it would to a normal threat. So what I'm hearing is anxiety is the body's way of telling you that there's a problem like a bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but in our current day and probably in you know any, anybody's life who's ever lived, that there are other types of Threats? Yeah, I mean stressors, really. Stressors, like, obviously, we all encounter stress, but our body doesn't really know how to separate, or a lot of our bodies don't know how to really separate between what's just stress that we can kind of manage and deal with and what's actually something that's threatening to us. So despite the fact that our bodies are so intricate and amazing, they can't tell the difference between a life-threatening stress a bear <laughs> or an impending deadline <laughs> yeah I mean essentially um, the, <laughs> yeah the great thing is that we can kind of train our brain to recognize the difference and some people are just naturally better at this and a lot of that just has to do with things that have happened throughout our upbringing and childhood you know if we've experienced trauma then that has a really big impact on how we respond then to future stressful things because um, it's essentially especially depending on you know when the trauma occurred um, impacts the way that our brain develops mm -hmm. so I can say for myself that I deal with a fair amount of anxiety that um, feeds into what becomes depression which feeds into anxiety mm -hmm. uh, it's cool <laughs> it's a really fun nice like little loop and that's a very common experience too um, I think at least in my own experience as well and then also what I hear from the clients that I work with is that they don't like feeling anxious but they would rather feel anxious than depressed because at least it kind of fuels you to do something right when you're anxious you feel like you need to be doing things you need to be productive you need to be um, 
you know, like just moving and, and you know, doing things in your life. But when you're depressed, obviously you're struggling with like lack of energy, motivation, all of those things. So anxiety kind of like propels you forward and then depression stagnates you and then you get anxious about being depressed and then it's kind of just this like revolving cycle. So you as a therapist, how do you deal with your anxiety? Yeah, so my journey with anxiety has been a very long one. <laughs> um, you know, I think similar to a lot of people, I've struggled with anxiety for a majority of my life. Um, and I experienced my own trauma when I was a teenager, which definitely had a significant impact on my anxiety. So that increased quite a bit. Um, and so for a long time, I did not deal with it, uh, <laughs> which a lot of people don't, which of course isn't helpful. What has helped me now in my, you know, where I'm currently at with my anxiety and being able to manage it um, is just really getting to know what works for you. Everyone's going to be a little bit different, right? Uh, but for me, I know that moving my body and like doing something every day is really helpful. So working out, whatever that looks like, whether it's going for a run, a walk, doing yoga, you know, like a high intensity workout, just doing something already kind of keeps me much more stable or level, I guess, than I normally would be. So working out is really helpful for me. Deep breathing when I'm like in the moment very anxious um, is very helpful. And then also um, just a lot of positive self-talk. So I think that's been probably the hardest part of my journey is learning how to talk to myself positively, especially when I'm feeling anxious uh, because I tend to, and I think a lot of people tend to you know, kind of become more critical of themselves when they're anxious and then become frustrated with themselves for being anxious, which doesn't obviously help the anxiety. Uh, so being able to just kind of talk to myself, you know, it's okay, you're feeling anxious, you're allowed to feel anxious. Is this something that we need to address or can we just kind of allow this, you know, feeling to be here and continue about our day? Mm -hmm. um, and then kind of going from there on how I'm going to address it. So I similarly have found that the anxiety builds if I'm just like sitting still or staying in the same place for too long, too many days. We're in a pandemic. That's happening a lot. Yes. So when I get out and go for a walk or a run or whatever, that has also proved beneficial. What is like, what are we experiencing when we do something like that? Well, there's a lot of different factors. So part of it is just distraction. So sometimes we just need to get out of our current environment or do something to distract ourselves. So even if you're staying in your house, you know, doing a workout, you're distracting your mind from whatever you're thinking about as far as the anxious thoughts that you're having. Um, and then also if you are leaving your home and, you know, going outside, even if it's for just a period of a few minutes to walk to your car, you're exposed to the environment, you're often exposed to the sun and getting some vitamin D and things like that. Um, so that's really helpful for kind of regulating our nervous system, essentially. Yeah, when you're actually doing the, the exercise, you're getting endorphins, that helps us feel good. We all learn from Legally Blondes that endorphins are great. <laughs> um, and they really are. Um, and they do have a big impact on our mood. Like I said, even if it's just for 10 minutes that you do something, I think a lot of people get stuck because they feel like they have to do they're going to do, you know, work out or move their body. It has to be for an hour or a really long amount of time. And it really could just be five, ten minutes of doing something quickly and that can have a big impact. That makes my anxiety feel better already that it doesn't have to be a long thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's a big misconception because we feel like, well, in order for 
me to feel better, I have to spend time actually doing this thing. But our bodies are pretty adaptable and they respond really well. So just like if we saw a bear, we have a really quick reaction to mm -hmm. that. Um, our bodies do the same thing if we're engaging in some sort of exercise, we respond pretty quickly to that. So even if it feels overwhelming to sit down and do a 30 minute or 45 or an hour long workout, you don't have to, you can just you know do something for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. So for people that think perhaps they don't think that they're dealing with anxiety yes. or people that are dealing with something but can't quite pinpoint it and it perhaps is anxiety, what what are ways to identify it? If you're feeling a way and you can't figure it out, like what are some of the key things that point to anxiety? Yeah, that's a good question and this comes up quite often also. I think especially for people who have experienced kind of a low level of anxiety for you know, the majority of their life, they don't really recognize that what they're experiencing is anxiety, it's just how they normally feel, right? So some of the things that you can pay attention to are emotional, of course, but then there's also a lot of physical things that might be happening uh, when you're feeling anxious. So we're looking at like difficulty sleeping, so either falling asleep, staying asleep, um, having some sort of nightmares or things like that can be uh, symptoms of anxiety or also trauma. Um, stomach aches or like stomach issues, um, especially if there's no sort of cause or you're not able to identify a cause for those things that's often related to anxiety headaches also you know things like shaking trembling and uh, fatigue so just feeling really tired and run down all the time um, obviously your heart racing really quickly just like if you, you know, did encounter a bear your heart would start racing sweating so a lot of different physical symptoms and I think those are often the ones that are more overlooked um, especially if it's things like stomach issues or headaches that maybe we can attribute to other things or assume that it's just you know physically uh, related uh, but then there's of course uh, things that are emotionally happening so we could be irritable obviously feeling overwhelmed and just having kind of a short fuse for stressful situations so if you find yourself becoming stressed out really easily um, or at least what seems like easily compared to the situations that are happening in your life. Um, that's a signal that you might have some level of anxiety. Feeling jumpy, um, so if you're very just kind of on edge and you know get scared really easily, um, very hypervigilant and aware of your surroundings all the time. Um, yeah, and also a feeling of dread, which I don't think we often think about when we think of anxiety. I think we often equate that to depression, but that also can play into anxiety as well. So lots of different things. Great. <laughs> okay, so now we have some symptoms that you can potentially identify yourself as having anxiety. So what do you do now? We talked about earlier some of the ways that you and I deal with it, but what are other options? Yeah, so obviously the, the things that we mentioned before, uh, but like I said, everyone is different. And so really finding things that work for you and there are thousands of coping skills out there, um, but some other really effective ones specifically for anxiety. Um, I think I briefly mentioned meditation, but meditation is very helpful uh, just because it essentially is training your brain to learn how to kind of just be with your thoughts and not fixate on them, um, not overthink and just kind of recognize them and then allow them to move forward. Um, I think often people are very hesitant to get into meditation uh, because it can seem a little bit overwhelming, but there are tons of short meditations that you can start with, guided meditations, 
um, just to get yourself in the habit of really being able to sit with your thoughts is really helpful. Also journaling um, is a great thing to do. Being able to write down, not just about your anxiety, but really just kind of getting into the habit of journaling on a somewhat consistent basis, however realistic that is for you, you know, as far as the frequency um, about what's going on in your life, how you're feeling about it. And then of course, also, if you are feeling anxious in the moment, sometimes it's just helpful to get it all out there on some paper and write it down. And it kind of separates you a bit from the anxiety and you're able to look at it from more of an outside perspective. Yes, I heard that when you either talk about your uh, feelings or experience or you write it down, that effectively your brain is processing the information in a different way because it's forcing the information to go down a different path in your brain. So then you're able to sort of rationalize or sort through your thoughts in a different way than them just hamster wheel racing in your brain. Yeah, exactly. And that touches into the next thing I was going to talk about, which is just talking to someone. So it doesn't have to be a therapist. Of course, it's helpful if you're experiencing a lot of anxiety to talk to a mental health professional, but it can just be, you know, a good friend of your partner, a family member, someone that you of course feel comfortable with just sharing hey, I am feeling really overwhelmed or anxious and this is what's going on. I do think it's important when you're having those conversations that you either that you know that person has an understanding of anxiety and how it works or you're able to set those boundaries with them of I don't need you to fix this situation right now, I just need to talk to you, is that okay? Uh, because it does help you just to get that out of your head. Um, we our own worst enemies, uh, especially with anxiety. And so if we're just keeping everything inside, it really is like that hamster wheel that you mentioned where things just escalating and escalating and escalating, uh, where if we just give actual words out into the world, um, it can actually decrease the intensity quite a bit. Okay, so I really liked what you said about setting the boundary or parameters, I guess, for the person that you're talking to. If it's a friend or family member that doesn't have a great deal of experience with anxiety, like, it's uncomfortable to talk about it sometimes, so you want to make sure that people are not going to react to you yes. negatively, which has definitely happened to me before. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, specifically in my own personal life, uh, my partner, when we first started dating, he had never recognized that he had experienced anxiety before, so when I was feeling anxious, it was automatically, you know, go into fix it mode. And that's not really what I needed at the time. Mm -hmm. And so being able to set those boundaries and let someone know before you have that conversation, one, are they in an emotion, a place emotionally where they're able to support you? Mm -hmm. uh, because they may be dealing with their own stuff where they are going to either feel triggered or have a reaction, even if you're asking them, you know, to not have some sort of reaction. Mm -hmm. So checking in with that in establishing that they are in a place where they can provide that support and then also setting the boundary of this is what I need from you during this conversation. I think we often expect that people, especially the people close to us, just know what mm -hmm. we need mm -hmm. and that they should know what we need and how to react and respond, but they don't um, yeah. and <laughs> it's not their job to and so we have to tell them what it is that we're expecting or else it can just escalate the anxiety uh, because they could again be trying to fix it become frustrated with us for feeling anxious, tell us that we shouldn't be feeling anxious, you know, all of those things that just lead us to then feel invalidated and usually worse than we did before. 
yeah, one time I was having a panic attack and the guy that I was dating also didn't get it. I What I knew that I needed was I just needed to like touch somebody else mm-hmm. and then I was like, can you just put your hand on my chest because I'm having a hard time breathing right now and basically what he said to me is you're really freaking me out and this is super weird and he just wanted to get out of there that's helpful (laughs) right (laughs) obviously that did not last yeah yeah that's not yeah not helpful at all but it's a really common reaction again especially if people haven't maybe dealt with or effectively dealt with their own anxiety it can be really overwhelming and kind of scary I think to see someone else feeling anxious, especially if they're at a panic attack level, mm-hmm. because you don't really know what you can do to help. Um, and so some people react really negatively to that. Uh, yeah. So it's not always a positive experience, unfortunately. Um, I, th- I think that panic attacks also are hard to identify. Can you describe to me what uh, a panic attack is and... I understand that it comes in various levels of intensity. So what can that look like? Yes. So a panic attack is essentially just your, not everyone obviously gets this at the height of their anxiety, but can be kind of the most extreme version of your anxiety. And often people continue to get panic attacks because they've had one and then they worry every time they start to feel anxious that they're going to have another one, which can then actually cause them to have a panic attack. So they're Mm. panicking about panicking um, and becomes this really awful little cycle. Um, It can come in different intensities for everyone. Like you mentioned, some people get to the point where they feel, and this happens often during the first time, but can continue to happen. They feel like they're having a heart attack or they're going to die or they may even pass out. Mm. Um, And so they end up going to the emergency room. Uh, which might be where they're told that they had a panic attack or they're having, you know, severe anxiety, maybe given a medication or something like that, and then kind of continue on their way. Um, But some people, especially if they've learned to identify when they're about to have a panic attack, can keep it from getting to that point. Um, Because at the height of our panic attack, we do feel like we're going to die. We're breathing really quickly. It's hard to breathe. Our heart is racing. We might be shaking. We might feel like we're going to pass out. There's all these things that are going on physically uh, mm-hmm. with our bodies. And so it does feel really overwhelming. Uh, so some people are, if you, as long as you kind of continue to pay attention to those cues and work on it, you can identify when that's about to happen and bring yourself back from it, essentially. How do you bring yourself back? Yes. So there's lots of different ways and it depends on what works for you. Um, And so learning what coping skills work for you, but grounding is the easiest way and can either be something that you do on your own or also something that someone else can help you do. Um, So grounding can be done in a lot of different ways. Uh, If someone's been taught this by a therapist before, often they'll refer to it as like five, four, three, two, one, or the five senses, uh, because they'll essentially you try to engage your senses with your surroundings. So if you're doing the five, four, three, two, one type method, it might be pick out five things in your environment that you can see, four things that you can hear, three things that you can touch, two things that you can smell, one thing that you can taste. And so it's really the purpose is to bring you back to the here and now. Cause when you're having a panic attack, you're not mm-hmm. really focused on your environment where you're at your body. You're focused on the fact that you're having a panic attack and yeah, it feels terrible. Freaking out. <laughs> yeah. 
So does it have to be uh, that specific number of senses every time or is it it's mostly just a way to to get you to like pay attention to what is actually in front of you and yeah exactly it doesn't have to be all of those things um and some people will find the one that works best for them so I'm a really big visual person Mm -hmm. so if I am starting to get to a point where I'm having a panic attack I pay attention to my surroundings and so I would maybe start start describing the picture that you have on the wall and the colors that are in the picture and what it's of and you know what the texture looks like and then I would maybe go to another thing um or I would also I do well with uh you know, touching. Mm-hmm. So I might touch something and kind of describe how that feels to myself or to someone else if they're helping me work through that. So it doesn't always have to be all five or ever have to be all five. It's really just intended to help you refocus your attention on your surroundings. Mm-hmm. Does it work better or worse or no different if you say it out loud or in your head? Uh, I don't think that necessarily works better or worse. I think it's more just preference. I prefer to say it out loud because that's more helpful for me, mm-hmm. but it's finding what is the most helpful for you. I think that if you happen to be around another person when you're having a panic attack, if they know, if you've discussed with them before things that do help you, you've talked about grounding before and they're able to engage you in that, that can be really impactful because Sometimes we might have a hard time engaging ourselves when we're at that height of panic. So if someone else Mm -hmm. recognizes and they can start asking those questions, hey, describe this picture to me. What colors do you see Mm -hmm. that can take our attention off that panic attack? So uh, this might be a bit of a loaded question in terms of how you should handle this. Mm -hmm. But if I'm with somebody else who is having some type of episode Mm -hmm. not like not like a seizure like you can tell that they're still fully functioning um should i try to engage them as if they're having a panic attack or should i just straight up call the hospital or both if this is a person that you don't know Mm -hmm. (laughs) anything about then maybe call the hospital you could ask a couple questions um Mm -hmm. in the meantime as well If it's someone that you do know, that you know struggles with anxiety in some capacity, even if they've never had a panic attack before that you're aware of, Mm -hmm. you can ask them a couple of those questions to gauge where they're at um, and see if they are responsive to it and if it does seem to have an impact. Uh, If they, of course, have any sort of like medical conditions that you are aware of, then we want to make sure you're calling the emergency room. But especially for those people that you know have anxiety, you know have panic attacks, engaging them in grounding is one of the easiest and quickest ways to start to bring them down. Mm-hmm. Also, if it's someone that you know and they've discussed coping skills that work with you, like touch can be really powerful, mm-hmm. but we do want to make sure that that's something that actually works for that person because that could also be triggering depending on the person. But sometimes just being held mm-hmm. or being touched in some way mm-hmm. can bring that anxiety down as well, like co-regulation essentially. Yeah, and typically like what do you think the sort of response rate is to a a grounding session we'll call it like how quickly it works yeah response rate was the wrong phrase (laughs) no (laughs) clarifying (laughs) um it depends really i think you can start to see 
someone coming down or at least that they're engaged in the process within 30 seconds maybe even less Mm -hmm. you might have to continue to ask questions though for a period of time to help bring them fully down so it may take a couple minutes it you know may take 10 minutes may take two minutes it just depends but when you're able to visually see that that person is no longer hyperventilating that they Mm -hmm. appear to be calming down you know they're not displaying any of those physical symptoms anymore you continue going a little bit past that so keep asking questions Mm -hmm. um also trying to engage them in slowing their breathing down and that's also something that we can do as Mm -hmm. well on our own is start to try to slow our breathing so taking slow breaths um so trying to breathe in really slowly through our you know nose and really slowly out through our mouth and that's something that you can have someone start to engage in as well once you've noticed that they're calming down a bit Mm -hmm. slow breathing not deep breathing slow yes slow breathing (laughs) (laughs) uh and then once the episode is over sometimes i would imagine people feel embarrassed Mm -hmm. even if if it's by themselves or with somebody else so that's just another situation where you got to give yourself cut yourself some slack yeah there's a lot of shame or often a lot of shame around having a panic attack because if a lot of people feel like it's something they should be able to control Mm -hmm. they especially depending on who they're around they may be embarrassed that it happened around that person if it's in public, then they may be embarrassed about that. Like I mentioned, sometimes people actually get to the point of passing out. That's not fun to experience. Mm-hmm. So there often is a lot of that negative feeling of why couldn't I handle this, quote unquote. Uh, but really just like you said, giving yourself grace and reminding yourself that it's okay. Um, you're a human being and you we're having a rough time and yeah. that's all right. It, ha- it happens sometimes. <laughs> it happens sometimes. And I think more, the more negatively you're thinking about that process, the more fearful it can start to make you, which can actually increase the chance that you're going to have another panic attack because mm-hmm. you're so worried about what if I have a panic attack around this person or in this situation or when I'm doing X, Y, Z that you could actually trigger that. Yeah. And it's like, it's not that uncommon to have a panic attack. No. Unfortunately, no. <laughs> yeah, like unfortunately, but it happens to people all the time. Yeah, absolutely. It's very common. It's normal. And I think particularly after this year, a lot of people, even more than before, have experienced a panic attack on in some capacity, whether it was an extreme, you know, I had to go to the hospital situation or that's kind of a more quote unquote mild panic attack. Mm-hmm. So it's something that a lot of people can relate to. Um, and if someone is not understanding of that then that maybe is something further to look at i do want to just give a little disclaimer that when you're having a panic attack it's important to be aware of kind of what where you're at in that panic attack when you are engaging in deep breathing so what i see happen sometimes with clients is they'll be at the height of a panic attack and they'll try to engage in deep breathing but their heart is racing and they're already breathing so quickly that they can actually make themselves panic more. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because they're trying to breathe, but they end up essentially hyperventilating. Oh my God. Yeah, which isn't great. This is (laughs) anxiety-inducing, just thinking about it. Fix yourself. (laughs) But if you're able to set yourself down and just really concentrate on slowing your breathing down, really you just need to kind of calm your nervous system um, in that moment. 
So it's about slowing down instead of right. deeper breath. Right. So some people, yeah, take the deep breath and they are, I don't want to do it in this with the mic because it'll be really disruptive sounding, but they're essentially hyperventilating. And so really just starting to count your breaths. So taking much longer, slower breaths and breathing, you know, in through your nose and out through your mouth, that will decrease your heart rate. That's going to calm your body down overall. Um, some people like you mentioned, get to a place where they can recognize they're either about to or are currently having a panic attack and they can kind of just ride it out. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really the, the only thing that you can do. Uh, there's no way to necessarily make it go away in that moment other than calming your, your nervous system down. So is there a cure for anxiety? Good question. Um, so short answer is no. <laughs> There's unfortunately not a cure. Um, like I said, it's a very normal reaction that we actually need to experience in order to stay safe. So if we cured anxiety and got rid of it completely, then if you were in the woods and encountered a bear, you wouldn't have any sort of reaction to run away, to keep yourself safe. You would maybe go up and pet the bear, uh, <laughs> which of course might not be great. Some people do that. Yeah, some people might do that, um, but wouldn't it be good for all of us? So there's no way to cure it, but there are lots of ways to manage it and to make it something that's not having a great impact on your life. So it's not disrupting your day-to-day -day life, and it's not causing you to you know, be crippled, essentially, by your anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of the coping skills that we talked about, and I think also just, like we mentioned, being able to recognize that it's even happening at all. Yeah. Is there like a, a physical ailment, I guess, that you could compare anxiety to in terms of like, it's a thing that happens, it's fine, and it will go away, but it's not like life-threatening or, that, that's kind of a loaded question. That is a loaded question. <laughs> I just, in, for people that mental health is like still a bit of an anomaly and is unclear is there any way to explain something like that to somebody that doesn't really get it yeah that is an interesting question i guess if we're just talking kind of generally and again everyone's health issues are going to be different so some people there might be actually something going on but we all experience some sort of like gastrointestinal issues so like gas you know or mm -hmm. stomach pain or you know something so you eat something that upsets your stomach you have a stomach ache then a couple hours later or the next day it's gone right yeah that's kind of similar to anxiety where it's your body's way of telling you hey I didn't really like that thing mm -hmm. that you put inside of me <laughs> and I would like to not have that in here anymore um, so I'm going to do something to try to get rid of it but it's not necessarily long-lasting of course also as someone with a lot of my own stomach issues that could also be a sign that something's wrong with you but it is a normal it's a way that your body's trying to communicate to you essentially that was actually a very good example I'm impressed that you came up with it <laughs> I was like I'm not even sure what, what I don't know what, what answer I'm gonna say. <laughs> we talked briefly about um, one of the symptoms of anxiety, and I think a lot of people experience this when they're trying to go to sleep, is uh, insomnia or not being able to fall asleep. There are 
a lot of apps and things available now yes. to help you just fall asleep. Is that like a typical time where people seem to struggle the most? Absolutely. Uh, that's a very normal reaction to anxiety and it's one of the symptoms that if you're looking at the DSM, which is how we kind of diagnose or how we not kind of, how we diagnose people with mental health disorders. What's um, the DSM? So the DSM is the Diagnostic Statistic Manual. Um, it's essentially a, a big book of all of the different symptoms um, that are within different disorders. So it helps us diagnose um, if someone has anxiety, if someone has depression, you know, PTSD, things like that. Um, it's certainly, we can maybe get into this in a later episode, but it's, you know, has its controversies, uh, but sleep difficulty sleeping, insomnia is one of the symptoms that is just listed under that criteria for diagnosing someone with anxiety. It doesn't always have to be present, but it's very common that it is. Mm -hmm. um, so very normal because we're finally at a place where we're relaxing, essentially, or at least not focused on other things mm -hmm. uh, during our day. We're not distracting ourselves. And so all those anxious thoughts start to come up. Um, and that can make it very difficult to sleep, or even if we're able to fall asleep, sometimes we'll then wake up with anxiety in the middle of the night and have difficulty going back to sleep. Um, so it's very, very normal. Mm -hmm. So some useful tools for uh, fixing that? Yeah, so you mentioned oh, the apps already, which there's a ton of apps that can help you go to sleep. So you know, there's one, there's a podcast called like put me to sleep or read me to sleep um, I could be misquoting that but something similar to that um, there's lots of sleep podcasts and even just listening to really calming music can be helpful um, people are gonna maybe not like this one but limiting alcohol and caffeine uh, <laughs> is very helpful and helping just regulate your sleep cycle in general especially if you're drinking a lot of caffeine because you're having a hard time going to sleep, so then you're tired the next day, it's kind of this vicious, vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, so limiting that, uh, podcasts or music, and then also trying to establish some sort of routine mm -hmm. for before bed. So starting you know, 30 minutes to an hour before you're going to sleep, having some sort of consistent routine that's signaling to your brain, hey, we're getting ready to go to sleep now. Uh, and ideally, that would not include, you know, phone, TV, things like that. So, you know, drinking some tea and having a skincare routine and, you know, putting on calming music and reading a book, um, you know, things like that that are going to relax your body will make it a little bit easier to go to sleep. And then, of course, if you're having, you know, significant difficulty, you can always go to a psychiatrist or, you know, general practitioner and get some sort of sleep uh, medication or some sort of anxiety medication that could be helpful in sleeping. Mm -hmm. I listen to Harry Potter. Harry Potter. Perfect. <laughs> and that that's something a lot of people like things that are familiar to you, mm -hmm. right? So having something that you don't necessarily need to pay attention to, mm -hmm. you can just lull yourself to sleep because you've heard it a thousand times. Right. That's really helpful too. That's exactly my approach. Yeah. Because Otherwise, I would be too interested to know what happens next. Right. Exactly. <laughs> what do you do? So what I do is a lot of things that I listed. Um, so I try to limit my screen time, especially directly before I go to bed. I'm not always super successful with that. Uh, but I definitely, once I'm in bed, don't touch my phone. Mm -hmm. um, put it on nighttime mode and just, you know, don't look at it. 
uh, and I do read every night. Um, I have a sound machine in my room, so I need some sort of ambient noise. I don't necessarily like to listen to talking, but I like having some sort of ambient noise and uh, also just really dim lighting. Um, and then I have my skincare routine and, and all that stuff. So lots of things that I mentioned. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that seems pertinent to the general anxiety discussion? I think that we'll get into some specific situations a little bit later in the season, series, show. <laughs> so now you have some context for what anxiety is and how to recognize it and how to help yourself deal with it, or even how to be a good advocate for people in your life that are dealing with it that need some support. Um, and that's our episode for today. Yeah, just a reminder that anxiety is normal and it's okay. Um, and trying to just find things that work for you in order to deal with it, whether that is talking to someone, various coping skills, um, or seeking your own mental health support.